York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home what we affectionately call upstate Manhattan. I'm Aaron Sims. And I'm Jonathan Bell. And this is Live and Local. It's our podcast dedicated to showcasing the musicians of Upper Manhattan. We talk with them about what they do, and best of all, listen to them perform live in one of our favorite local venues. Today, we are excited to welcome composer, pianist, and Inwood resident, Jerome Kitsky. Jerome is originally from southwestern shore of Lake Michigan in Milwaukee. He has taught himself to be as much as a storyteller as he is a composer. Some of his stories are about life's personal roads, like the redness of blood and Sunflower Sutra, which both express his love for his blood family. Many, however, like Haunted America and the Paha Sapa Giveback, are about the roads that go looking for what it means to be an American in the late 20th century to early 21st century, especially as it relates to the connection between how we live on this land and the way we came to live on it. Kitsky's musical celebrates music. Excuse me. Kitsky's music celebrates America's vitality in its purest forms. It thrives on the spirit of driving jazz. Plains Indian songs, and Beat Generation poetry, where freedom and ritual converge. It is a direct, dramatic, and visceral experience, always with an ear to the sacred ground. He's been featured twice on WNYC's New Sounds Live with John Schaefer, and has been a fellow at the McDowell Colony, Yaddo, the Milanay Colony, and many others. Uh, in the summer of 2017, the Fales Library at NYU began archiving Mr. Kitsky's life work for their downtown music collection, and in October of 2018, Tribeca New Music presented a concert of his entire repertoire for an amplified speaking pianist. But today, he makes his Inwood Artworks debut. We are thrilled to have him play for you live today. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerome Kitsky. Rockies. And after old agony, drunk with New Year's, bounding toward the snowy horizon, blasting the dashboard with the original bop hot rod on the mountain, we batter up the cloudy highway where angels of anxieties careen through the trees and scream out of the engine. We burn all night on the Jack Pine Peak, seen from Denver in the summer dark, forest-like, unnatural radiance, illuminating the mountain top. Childhood youth time, age and eternity would open like sweet trees in the nights of another spring and dumbfound us with love. 
where we can see together the beauty of souls hidden like diamonds in the clock of the world, like Chinese magicians can confound the immortals with their intellectuality hidden in the mist. In the green automobile, which I have invented, imagined, and visioned on the roads of the world, more real than the engine on a track in the desert, purer than Greyhound, and swifter than physical jet plane, Denver, Denver, will return, roaring across the city and county building lawn, which catches the pure animal flame, streaming in the wake of our auto. This time we'll buy up the city. I cashed a great check in my skull bank to found a miraculous college of the body up on the bus terminal roof. But first, we'll drive the stations of downtown, pool house, flop house, jazz joint, jail, whorehouse, down Folsom to the darkest alleys of Larimer. Whoa! Paying respects to Denver's father, lost on the railroad tracks, stupor of wine and silence, Halloween the slum of his decades. Salute him in his saintly suitcase of dark muscatel, drink and smash the sweet bottles and diesels in allegiance. Go driving drunken boulevards where armies march and still parade, staggering under the invisible banner of reality, hurling through the streets in the auto of our fate. We share an argangelic cigarette and tell each other's fortunes, flames of supernatural illumination, bleak rainy gaps of time, great art learned in desolation, and we beat apart after six decades. asphalt crossroad deal with each other in princely gentleness once more recalling famous dead talks of other cities the windshields full of tears rain wets our naked breasts we kneel together in the shade amid the traffic of night in paradise and now renew the solitary vow we made each other take in Texas once, I can't inscribe here. How many Saturday nights will be made drunken by this legend? How will young Denver come to mourn a forgotten sexual angel? How many boys will strike the black piano in imitation of the excess of a native saint? Or girls fall wanton under a specter in the high schools of melancholy night? While all the time and eternity in the wan light of this poem's radio, We'll sit behind forgotten shades, hearkening the lost jazz of all Saturdays. Kneel. We'll be real heroes now in a war between our cocks and time. 
Let's be the angels of the world's desire and take the world to bed with us before we die. Sleeping alone or with companion, girl or fairy, sheep or dream. I'll fail of lack, love. You, satiety. All men fall. Our fathers fell before. But resurrecting that lost flesh is but a moment's work of mind, an ageless monument to love in the imagination, memorial built out of our own bodies, consumed by the invisible poem. We'll shudder in Denver and endure the blood and wrinkles blind our eyes. So, this green automobile, I give you in flight a present, a present from my imagination. We will go riding over the Rockies, we'll go on riding all night long until dawn. Then back to your railroad, the SP, your house, your children, and broken leg destiny, you ride down the plains in the morning. And back to my visions. My office. And Eastern apartment. I'll return to New York. Yo! Well, that was, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jerome. It's great to see you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, could you tell us, please, what you just played for us? I played a piece from the year 2000 I wrote called The Green Automobile. It's for the amplified speaking pianist genre that Tony DeMar and Fred Jeffsky kind of started up in the early 90s. Um, it utilizes, my piece utilizes Allen Ginsberg's uh, 1953 poem, The Green Automobile, from his uh, Reality Sandwiches collection. Cool. Mm. Well, that's an incredible, I, well, yeah, I definitely this is a, a hybrid, a musical hybrid that I've never encountered before. So thank you for expanding my musical universe. Um <sighs> It's hard to understate, in a way, my admiration for you in the sense of an artist who has clearly um, found his niche, his calling. Um, I'm 
fascinated to know how you integrated so many parts of yourself um, and how it ended up manifesting ultimately in this type of performing, which incorporates spoken word um, with what sounds like almost like Cecil Taylor type free improv, but yet it, on the other hand, there seems to be, not that there's a contradiction here, but there's a lot of precision and rigor and preparation. And so I'm kind of interested to know also the balance between through composedness versus how much um, 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 improvisation is going on here. Would a second performance of Green Automobile now, how radically different would it be? Like different performances, would I, how much would I note in terms of like um, compositional differences? Um, that's, a, that's like two or three questions there. Um, take whatever you want from there and go for it. Well, I guess I'll start with the last one, and you might have to remind me what the yeah, other question sure. okay, is. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be working on that. <laughs> um, if I played the Green Automobile right now for you again, mm-hmm. it would sound the same. Okay. Um, it's completely notated. Okay. I, being the composer, however, and being a skilled improviser at the piano, uh, I add little things here and there that are probably not in the score. But even if I played it again a second time and a third time, you would still feel, oh, that sounds like the same piece. It's hmm. very rigidly, formally structured. Um, but it sounds like it has a real extemporaneous vibe to it. So, you know, I, yeah. I, would, I would think that my response is not unique. I would think that, some pe- I would think that many people might hear you and think that there was a lot of improvisation that they just heard yet what you're saying it's note for note composed as a performer in my (laughs) i've now been writing music for 51 years believe it or not as a performer in my entire performing life i've been an improviser okay um i play a couple of my pieces that are notated but i don't play anyone else's notated music so i'm mostly as a performer uh, an improviser okay um the green automobile uh began uh, i was at the malay colony in the year 2000 and there's stuff going on there with interpersonality conflicts and stuff that i wasn't able to work on uh the project i wanted to work on and i had to find a way to get other things done so what i did is i that place is in the berkshires and i just walked and hiked all over the berkshires and uh, and I've been extremely fond of Allen Ginsberg's poetry for a long time. He's written thousands of poems, but there's about 10 or 11 of them that I just adore. Mm-hmm. And it includes the Green Automobile. So I was thinking about that poem at the Malay Colony, and I, I just, uh, so I just sat at a piano and just spoke and played. So that piece did start out of kind of an improvisational sense. Perhaps that comes through in the final written version. Okay. I don't know. I, I yeah. can't tell. But, uh, um, and yeah, what was the... Is that, well, is that the genesis of that piece? Was that the Malay? Yeah. Okay. And was that, so was that the, the also the beginning of an interest in the speaking pianist type performance? Or had you been doing... No, I had um, already written um, Sunflower Sutra in 1998, 1999 for, on a commission with, for Tony DeMar okay. uh, for a New Sounds Live concert with John Schaefer. And that was also Ginsberg's poetry, Sunflower Sutra. That piece I was writing while my oldest sister Mary was dying of cancer. 
and it was a way for me to, to deal with what was going on in my personal life. And the poem, Sunflower Sutra, just is, was perfect for that moment in time. I, I'm a kind of composer that if there's really difficult personal things going on in my life, whether it be my own life or what's going on in the country and the world around us, it, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to think of com composition. Uh, but for Sunflower Sutra, I really delved into it. Hmm. Uh, and my sister actually ended up getting to hear the piece two weeks before she died. Wow. So that was meaningful. Uh, so anyway, I had gotten into the speaking pianist genre before that. And then even before that, in 1994, I wrote my piece, The Animus Child, which is for toy pianist, toy piano, written for Wendy Mae Chambers. Uh, it's, it's, there's no text, but it's speaking and playing on the toy piano. Okay. So I was very um, attuned to the idea of that. And I had heard Tony DeMar do De Profundis, Jeffsky's De Profundis, yeah. on a Bang on a Can marathon at uh, Alice Tully Hall. He was very early in the show, and I didn't know this piece, and it was, it was fairly new. This would have been in probably 94 or something. I think De Profundis was written in 92. And Tony did the piece, and I was going to stay for a lot of the marathon. I couldn't. I was so blown away and moved by this, I couldn't think of anything else. Wow. The piece was fantastic. It's a great, great piece, De Profundis. Uh, but Tony's performance of it just lit this sort of fire under me. I'd already been de you know, delving into this, this notion of this kind of genre, but, but his performance was so powerful and so theatrical and just meaningful. I ran into him in the lobby during, uh, when I left, and he knew who I was, and we talked, and he knew my music somehow, and he asked me then, would I be interested in writing a piece for this genre? I'm like, yeah! <laughs> you know? So uh, then, as, as these things happen, you know, with commissions, you have to find the money, da, 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 all that stuff, so it took a few years for that to come about, but that's how Sunflower Sutra came about from a practical standpoint, and so I, yeah, and, and Speaking pianist is not a, a, in the classical world, it's kind of a new thing from the early 90s, but sitting at a piano and talking and all that, that's very old. Yeah, so I, I'm curious huh. that because you um, compose the work you perform and, and vice versa, um, that uh, I mean, as Jonathan says too, like there's a very theatrical element to your work, and so I'm curious if you prefer having your music experienced live in performance or listened to. Oh, either is great. They're different. You know, yeah. They're, they're, they're very different. Um, I have a piece, for instance, for four drum sets, and a large bass drum and piano, amplified piano, called the Pahasapa Giveback. And experiencing that work live, uh, my favorite performance of it was um, at uh, William Patterson University in, in their big auditorium. The people were doing it on the stage, and the four percussionists are around this drum, and they're banging away. And a chunk of the ceiling fell out, fell down, and didn't hit anybody, but it smashed right into the floor next to them. So that you don't get that from listening to a recording. So that was very exciting. Can't beat that. But then again, the recording of that piece was so beautifully well done. It's a different thing. They're both powerful in their own way. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, I want to uh, pick up on um, a sentence in your bio that just mentions the convergence of freedom and ritual. And uh, I wanted to know if that maybe is a point of departure for you in terms of um, maybe expanding a little bit more on your aesthetic and um, musically 
and the place of performance around the notion of ritual? Well, I mean, the word ritual, <clears throat> many people will define it in many different ways. I've been to various rituals. That would be the standard definition of the ritual. But then I think of concerts, the convening of performers coming together, even before the concert, the talking, the speaking, then the rehearsing, mm -hmm. um, and even the composing of the work for me. It's all part of the ritual of eventually getting to the point where you tell the story you're wanting to tell. Um, so when I do a concert and I have a, a group that I've had multiple members of and they come and go, it's called the Mad Coyote for the last 30 years. And uh, so those people, it's, we, we love each other as human beings and that figures into this. But when we get together for um, uh, rehearsals for a concert, it's, uh, it's, it's more than just music business. There's a, there's a thing going on that's... Uh, not blood relation, but just as close. Mm -hmm. and, and that becomes ritualistic for me. And then, um, you know, some pieces uh, like Sunflower Sutra or the Pahasapa Giveback, they are, they come off as in live performance as rituals. Uh, of Does this come from any interest in any philosophies, religion, um, not really. So, so okay. No. All right. No. I mean, I, I've been a long time, for 35 years, involved in various aspects of the relation between white Europeans and Native Americans throughout history and the, the, the events that occurred throughout our history. Okay. That, uh, you know, I've worked on things that are about illuminating those interactions. Mm -hmm. And I've written pieces that are about that. And I, I have a... Um, uh, close friends and family on the Pine Ridge Reservation. So I've been there m many, many times. And, okay. I, and, and, when I, and I've been invited by those people, by my Lakota friends, my Oglala Lakota friends, to okay. come to some of their, their rituals. Right. They've invited me. And I, so that, no doubt, figures in somehow to my thinking as well, that experience with, right. with, with those people out there. Very interesting. Um, could you also dive in a little bit in, about um, your um, yourself as a improvising performer, what you've been involved in, as uh, in that vein? Oh, sure. Um, do you mean involved in terms of the kinds of groups I play? Yeah, with, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that that's a part of your. Well, bio, yeah. I don't, I don't know about. So. I, I had my first rock band in the 1968. I was 13. And so we were terrible, uh, but it was fantastic. It was wonderful, <laughs> and it involved a lot of improvisation, right. learning the tunes of the day and all that, right, but, right. but still a lot of improvisation. Uh, I played Farfisa Combo Compact Organ. Um, it's wonderful, cheesy, beautiful-sounding thing. And uh, I, I then, uh, you know, when I started playing more piano after that, and I just, I was never a good piano student. I did go to college. I taught myself to... to play a keyboard. I taught myself to compose. I was writing music before I even went to university. I'd written chamber orchestra pieces. I'd written woodwind quintets and things mm. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, without knowing at all what I was doing, the bliss of ignorance was actually at that age was pretty terrific. Um, in fact, one case, I wrote a chamber orchestra piece where, and if you know about score writing, as you do, being a composer, you write the score and then you do the parts. 
this piece, I wrote the parts first and then turned them into a score. That's completely ass backwards, which was, but it was part of the, you know, that I didn't know what I was doing, and I, but I knew I wanted to do it. Right. I had a fire lit under me, and, and I was off to the musical um, races. But I, I just, I, would not, I was not a good piano student. I mean, the idea of sitting down and practicing and all the hand and exercises <laughs> and doing all that stuff, uh, just didn't appeal to me, and I was no good at it. Uh, so sitting down to play Mozart or Beethoven, it just wasn't my thing. I'm not sure Hannon appeals to anyone. No, but, well, no. <laughs> but when I, when I would sit down to, to practice, you know, because I, I did have piano teachers right. in college, they, they made you do that stuff, and they just thought I was abhorrent at my technique and all that, because I was doing things incorrectly, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would sit down to practice, but I would just start, you know, doing Mozart, and then I would just start improvising, and I just couldn't stop, so. That's so interesting. And then I, I uh, in Milwaukee, I was in a group called the Great Lakes Poem Band with the poets Jim Hazard and Susan Fear, these wonderful Midwestern poets, okay. and Bob Budney on drums, so it was drums, piano, and these two poets, mm. and they read, and we just played uh, for hours on end, and we played behind them and with them and under them. and So that whole collaboration interdisciplinary thing with literature elements has been there for a long time. The very first piece I ever wrote in 1970 was uh, based on uh, some of the thematic elements of family and John Steinbeck's novella, The Pearl. Hmm. The very first piece, little piano piece. I still play these little piano pieces I wrote in 1970 as a 15-year-old to this day. I play them just to stay connected to them. Hmm. Um, the woman, uh, English teacher, inspired me to be a composer, asked me to write music for this Steinbeck project. And I said, I don't write music. What are you talking about? And she said, oh, I'll give it a try. So I did. I mean, I understood composing was you know putting notes and sounds together in ordered fashion, blah, blah, and all that. And I tried it, and I discovered I had a talent I had no idea I had. And that was it. I was just off to the races. So the very first piece was out of literature. Mm. So I think that's part of why I'm so, to this day, I'm just, I like working with language. I've written instrumental pieces, but they're often based on something literal or or literature-wise. But I like using text in, in, in my pieces. So the Great, Lake poem, Great Lakes Poem Band existed. Then in New York, I, I started a trio with uh, Harvey Sorgan, a drummer in Woodstock, and Steve Rust, a bass player in Woodstock, called Big Tent. We were about 20 years now we play together. Not frequently, not as much as we'd like. We just made a record two years ago uh, called um, I Am Waiting, Big Tent Digs Ferlinghetti. And, and Ferlinghetti knew about the project. He died just recently, but he, we got his permission, and he, there's a picture of him in it, and it's a CD on, a, I think, a Polish record label. Hmm. And it was, uh, those guys are so good at improvising, and I, I am what I am, and we just make this thing happen, and it's my great joy to improvise. Hmm. But when I write concert pieces, it, everything is exactly very specifically notated right. my scores are done by hand mm. my scores have hung in art galleries uh, here and there mm-hmm. um uh, i start from blank paper i draw the stabs i do all that myself mm. um mm. which i think i probably got from being mesmerized by george crumb's scores in the in the mm-hmm. late 60s early 70s mm-hmm. There's a ritual there, if you want right. to talk about ritual, right. the score writing. Yes. Uh, you mentioned the Fales uh, archiving, Fales Library archiving my work. They made this terrific 21-minute film uh, about me, just about my notational practices. 
you know, that could sound really dry sounding and like, boy, that can't be very interesting, but they captured something that's really, you know, it captures a bit of how, for me, it's, it's, um, it's not just about the music I'm writing, it's about the, the creation of the physical score from nothing. Yeah, and it's also, I think, too, it's interesting to say um, that, because since you don't use a, a computer program or Sibelius or whatever these things are these days, um, writing is very, also very much about not only the subject matter, but the person themselves and writing during that moment in your life. And uh, I think that's, I mean, it becomes your hand to, pa hand to pen to paper. Uh, it's pretty special, I think, and, and maybe some things come out of you then that wouldn't come out of you at a different time. Uh, so can you speak a little bit about what inspires you to tell the stories you do at those moments and how your life uh, intersects with when you are writing? Like, Sure. Well, you kind of mentioned it in your, your intro. I, I have pieces I've written that are really pointedly, specifically, just to express love for my blood family. Sunflower Sutra was for my sister. The Redness of Blood was a dedication piece, a 25-minute piece for two percussion, piano, and clarinet. Uh, for my blood family, six members. Uh, and then other pieces like the Pahasapa Give Back, you know, the piece I mentioned, Pahasapa is Lakota for black hills, um, hills that are black. And, and I wanted to write a piece that, that basically supported the, the ongoing movement to return the Pahasapa to the Lakota Cheyenne and Arapaho people based on the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty. Uh, these are things that have been going on for over 100 years now, and, and, and people are still trying to rectify these treaty situations. So all I wanted to do is write a piece that said, Pahasapa, give them back. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's very, as I looked at, well, not back to your work, and you're a 15-year-old, but I've looked back quite a bit, and uh, your composition have really related to the theme of exploring your feelings, reconciling our cultural past, I feel. I can see that as a kind of thread between them all, um, or, or many of them. That's not the Ginsburg poem, uh, or, or Ginsburg's work for that part. But, um, but also our current relationships with the idea of what it means to be an American, I think it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing for us to look back and we feel somewhat powerless at times because we weren't there uh, a lot, I think. And I can feel that frustration and also the, um, the, the, the great deal of emotion and empathy, I think, in your work towards those um, those cultural reckonings, I'll just say they are what they are. Um, and I think it's funny, funny, because I've run into you in the park a few times during COVID in Inwood Hill Park. Um, and uh, I'm wondering uh, what you've perceived in nature and our larger culture has found um, way to you moving forward as you look towards telling new stories. Because you've done so much with the past it's like worrying, are you looking oh. for, are you looking forward into the future oh well i uh, we've talked about the the pieces i've done that try and illuminate the connections and the inter encounters right. historically between uh, native americans and white european culture exactly i mean that goes back many hundreds of years but that's still going on today yeah but i've written four anti-war pieces two in about one war that the one that george bush started in 2003 um I, uh, when our former president, most recent former president, got elected, I was mortified, like many people, and I didn't write anything for a long time. I was just sort of stunned by it. And then I, I got uh, invited to go to uh, Civitella, an artist residency in um, Italy, in Umbria. 
And uh, I had gotten an email while there from Kathy Sapovi and Keeve Wilson, who we mm. talked about earlier. The, Kathy, the great pianist, yeah. Keeve, the great oboe player. And Kathy says, oh, I got a new duo. We're, and if you're interested in, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't a commission thing, but I, when I got to Italy, I was sitting there and I just had reread uh, Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. If you want to sear your brain, read that book about how we came to be where we are. Uh, and I, I said to myself, oh, Kathy Keeve, Howard Zinn, People's History, Donald Trump. So I said, okay, I, I'm gonna write a piece uh, that I ended up calling A Lament and Cry for These United States. So that was about our current situation. This was in 2017, dealing with what was going on in Washington with the president we had and the things that he was doing, did, and of course to this day continues to do, even though he's out of office. So those, I, I'm interested in telling those kinds of stories too that are about you know, the politics of our, our nation. Um, the pandemic wiped out a new piece uh, I wrote for the Naked Eye Ensemble, Zuping Songs, Naked Eye Octet Ensemble out of uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, for that octet and a, an actor-singer, Lisa Carr, who's a wonderful performer here in New York. Uh, uh, it uses um, Ferlinghetti poems. Right? The second poem, uh, piece I'm going to play next for you is uh, uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti poem. And uh, his poem, I Am Waiting, and another one called Pity the Nation. So those are direct commentaries on, on the fact that Donald Trump was our president. And I, I wanted it to be premiered before the election, and it was going to be in May of 2020, and then in Lancaster, and then a New York City October premiere. But of course, you know what happened. Whoosh! Everything yeah. got wiped out, and uh, that's still waiting for its premiere. It's, the good thing about it, it's relevant, even though things have changed in, in D.C. So. Well, I guess we don't need a... Uh... A uh, segue. I think you 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 you, you set up your next you piece. Set, you, you set very yourself nicely up. Yeah. <laughs> you're oh, hired. You're hired as your. Would you like me to say what the piece is? I it's would love a, that. It's going to be an improvisation since we talked about improvisation. Me on the piano improvising while I speak. Uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti's uh, poem from A Coney Island of the Mind, his great great uh, collection uh, from 1958, and it's uh, it's called Number Eleven in the book, I, uh, the version we did with Big Tent, the group I mentioned before, we call it, uh, the world is a beautiful place to be born into. Well, I can't wait to hear it. Without further ado, once again, Jerome Kitsky. Just when everything is fine, 
because even in heaven, they don't sing all the time. The world is a beautiful place to be born into, if you don't mind some people dying all the time, or maybe only starving some of the time, which isn't half so bad if it isn't you. beautiful place to be born into if you don't much mind a few dead minds in higher places or a bomb or two now and then in your upturned faces or such other improprieties as our name brand society is prey to with its men of distinction its men of extinction and its priests and other patrolmen and its various segregations and congressional investigations and other constipations that our fool flesh is heir to. Yes, the world is the best place of all for a lot of such things as making the fun scene and making the love scene and making the sad scene and singing low songs and having inspirations and walking around looking at everything and smelling flowers and goosing statues and even thinking and kissing people and making babies and wearing pants and waving hats and dancing and going swimming in rivers on picnics in the middle of the summer and just generally living it up. Yes. But then, right in the middle of it, comes the smiling mortician. That was really cool. You're moving. Where can listeners go if we can send them somewhere to find out more about your work? Well, a couple of places. Uh, Innova Records, I have about four or five recordings, a couple that are completely my works, and then other recordings that are compilations that include pieces of mine. The internet being what it is, if you Google my name, Jerome Kitsky, and click on video, ton of live performance videos will will pop up some right. of them are really quite yeah. fun do you have your own youtube channel or do you not do that i do not have uh, yeah. any personal i'm mm-hmm. not really a social media kind of guy but, god, bless, god bless you <laughs> but uh but but I'm, I'm published my music is published by peer music if mm. some budding pianist wanted to play the green automobile hey. they could go to peermusic.com mm. and find mm-hmm. find it there somehow well, that'd be wonderful mm. and i hope they do well, mm. Jerome, um, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your work with My us. My great pleasure. Thank you. This is your first time playing live in a while, right? Yes. Uh, actually, it's the first time I played the real piano in 16 months. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. Well, when you asked me about this, it was a, not that long ago, so yeah. I was practicing every day on my digital weighted keyboard, <laughs> which I hadn't touched in 18 months either. Wow. Because I've been playing this organ I mentioned, the yeah. Nord organ mostly. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, you got me, uh, got my piano muscles back up. To, well, that's great to Great hear. performances. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. You still got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks to Jerome Kitsky for joining us today on this live and local episode of In What Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all kinds who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, Please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Thanks to Hudson View Gardens here for having us and to Hidesites.com for Uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on our social media at Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Alfresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. If you'd like, you could support us here at our free program, Inwood Artworks On Air, by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council and in part by a grant from the New York City and Company Foundation with partial support from Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims. And I'm Jonathan Bell. For Inwood Artworks On Air.